Our reading this evening comes from Psalm 13. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find it on page 548. 548, Psalm 13. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Good evening, everyone. If any of you are wondering who Alan Black is, that's me. Um, I've been in, uh, my wife and I have been in this congregation since about October, I think since your away day at St. Nick's in Sevenoaks, um, and, and I work for the London City Mission. Um, I, we have a short, I believe we have a short series of the Psalms um, in the evening services, picking up from um, where you left off last time you did the Psalms, so... That is why we're in um, Psalm 13. Um, So Psalm 13, page 548. Let me pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for the gift of this psalm to us. And we pray that by your spirit you would help us to meditate on it to your praise and to your glory. Amen. Um, Just some three preliminary remarks on this psalm as it's the beginning of a new series. Um, first of all, um, I don't think, I don't think uh, uh, Nigel read this, but um, notice who it's written for, for the director of music. In other words, this was meant to be sung by the congregation of Israel. This is meant to be sung by us. Um, And this was normal fare for the Church of History down till about 60 years ago, um, when I guess the rock and roll generation couldn't cope with uh, Gregorian chants and the like. I don't know if any of you remember when this church still had um, psalms as a staple diet of its sung worship. Long time ago, long time ago. Does it matter that we no longer sing? Uh, the Psalms as they were written. I suggest to you that the Psalms to us are like music lessons to musicians. When I was 10 years old, I saw somebody playing the violin and I thought, I want to be able to do that. However, I didn't get on with um, violin lessons and I certainly didn't get on with violin practice So the result is, I cannot play the violin. But I still do come home from work sometimes and wish I could pick up an instrument 
and play the music that would suit my soul. But for that, I need to humble myself and become a child and begin with the basics. So for us, in praise and prayer, these are the basics. This is where we should start. If we start here, in time we will be able to improvise. And in time we'll be able to stand in the council Um, of the Lord and discern his will for the really, really testing times. Second preliminary point, notice who it's written by, a psalm of David. Um, And it's it's not just, um, you know, the composer like you sometimes see in the little footnotes on our songs who wrote it. David is the anointed king of Israel. The word for that is Messiah. So David, for us, Jesus, is the choir master of Israel, teaching them to sing so that they can call the world to sing. David is also the commander-in-chief of Israel's armies, just as Jesus is commander-in-chief of Israel the armies of God today. So, the struggles, the enemies, the conflict we hear in these psalms are not just David's private and personal conflicts. They are the conflicts of David for the kingdom of God. From this, we may well learn how to pray in our trials and troubles, but it will also take us beyond that. To pray, your kingdom come, O Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then, third preliminary point, um, notice what sort of song this is. And Nigel brought that out very well when he read it. Um, It's often called a lament. And it may surprise you to know, psalm, the word psalm means praise. Um, But this isn't very much a song of praise, which is maybe another reason why we don't sing the psalms. But if you you were to read through the first 89 psalms, 60% of them would be laments. This is normal service for the people of God. Of course, if you keep going on, 60% of the second half are psalms of praise. Um, Why is that? Somebody told me recently, the persecuted church does not like to be called the persecuted church. They say, we're the normal church. You're the unusual church. You're the church that needs an adjective. You're the comfortable church. You're the affluent church. This is normal. Last week I was preaching in a a different church. A woman there was sharing of her experience of walking through cancer. She said two things. One, I think a lot of us are pretending when we come to church and sing songs of praise. The other thing she says, I am praying more than ever, but my prayers aren't very polite. I thought Psalm 13 is perfect for you. I've come across a number of people mourning deeply over the loss of a loved one who've said, I can't come to church 
Everybody there is so joyful, so cheerful. I just want to weep. To me that is understandable, but it's also, there's a a tragedy to it. Because as a family of God, we are meant to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And there are probably, in all our congregations, a significant number of people who are really struggling with life. And Psalms helps us engage with the different experiences of life. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. So those are my preliminary remarks, um, just beginning. Okay, my title, um, When the World Falls Apart. And as you will see the way it's laid out, there are three paragraphs, and I'm giving these the title of David's Crisis, David's Cry, and David's Confidence. David's crisis, and the crisis is of his world disintegrating. His relationship with God is disintegrating. Verse 1, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? His inner life is disintegrating. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? And his relationship to the world is disintegrating with the enemy on top triumphing over me. So four times, five questions, four times. How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Extraordinary prayer when you think about it. Uh, I mean, if you were teaching somebody to pray, would you teach them to pray like this? If David were a Buddhist, the Buddhist would say he is unenlightened. If David was a Muslim, the Muslims will say, this is blasphemy. If David was an atheist, the atheist would say, you are betraying your faith. You're praying to God you say you don't believe in. Um, But this is God's Messiah, who has written this prayer by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for us. This is God inviting us to voice our pain and confusion and to be brutally honest with him. There's a a First World War poem um, that I love, written, you know there's a lot of poetry came out of the First World War, written at a time when men were suffering abominably in in the trenches. Um, This one goes like this. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but you stumbled to your throne. But to my wounds, no other God can speak, because not a God has wounds, save thou alone. Second paragraph, David's David's cry. And uh, it is a cry of, It's a cry of desperation on the one hand. Look on me, answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, lest I sleep in death, lest my enemies say I will have overcome him, lest my foes rejoice when I fall. Um, It's a real cry of desperation. Um, But as I reminded you, it's not just David for himself. He's 
David as the king of Israel to whom God has promised the kingdom. And that raises the stakes enormously. David is effectively saying, Lord, it's your name, it's your kingdom, it's your honour and glory that are at stake here. So he cries out. Um, You remember, probably most of you remember, uh, we are told that Jesus, the Son of God, prayed with loud cries and tears. Desperation. But it's also a, a, a cry of faith. He cries in desperation, but it is to my God. The God who appears to have abandoned him is nevertheless David's God. Um, it doesn't, it may not, I, I don't know whether you notice this, but it, um, he's praying to Yahweh, which is a covenant name of uh, the God of Israel. It's, um, it, it's when you get it's written in capital letters here. It looks like a title to us, but it's actually God's personal name. He is praying to the God who covenanted himself to Israel that he might henceforth be known as the God of Israel. He's praying to the God who has covenanted himself to David and said, I'm giving to your house the kingdom. In our language, he's praying to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. My God, my God. And that is a mark of true prayer in the midst of conflict. We voice our pain and confusion and our sense of abandonment and we lay hold of the God who appears to have abandoned us but has committed himself to us, exactly as Jesus did on the cross, if you remember. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it is still my God, my God. So this is, this is not David shouting into the wind. This is not um, uh, an angry atheist shaking his face, fist at the God he doesn't believe in. This is a cry of desperation and a cry of faith. He's crying in desperation to the God who has abandoned him or apparently abandoned him. And he is crying to the God he knows will never abandon him because he has committed himself to him. He cries out because all seems to be lost. He cries out to the God who allows his people to go through these deep, dark times of suffering, but will never allow the enemy to have the last word. David's cry. And then finally, David, David's confidence, um, verses 5 to 6. And the, the, the eyes here are emphatic. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will sing. The Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. It reminds me of another psalm, Psalm 42, where this time it's one of the temple singers and musicians who is far away from the house of God and he, he's homesick and he bemoans the fact that he cannot lead the people of God in their worship. And all around him are people taunting him, saying, where is your God? Where's your God? Go on, where's, where's your God? And he's giving voice to great despondency. 
All your waves and breakers have swept over me. He feels like a drowning man, he says to God. But at the same time, he takes hold of himself, rebukes himself. Why are you downcast, O my soul? For I will yet put my hope in God. I will yet praise him. And David is like that here. He's he's full of cries of, of, of desperation. And yet he is saying, I will sing the Lord's praise. I will trust in your unfailing love. So in the mid... I mean, you look at it, it may think, wow, David, David's got amazing faith um, to be able to keep crying to God in a situation like this. Or not, or not that we know it's the exact context. But this is, not, this is not amazing faith. This is not David's great faith. This is David's faith in a great God who is faithful to his promises. And because of that, he says, I will sing. I will this is not, um, if I put it like this, blonde-haired optimism that um, pervades a spirit of positivity and certainty in the belief that if you do that long enough, the future will be golden. This is present trust. I will trust in your unfailing love and holding on to future joy and hope Um, in your salvation based on past experiences. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. If you have read um, the Bible story, Abraham waiting, Jacob wrestling, Joseph rising from the pit to rule Egypt, Israel rescued from slavery in Egypt. Jesus crucified but risen from the dead. Then we can have present trust and future hope based on what God has done for his people in the past. And we can pray, our ears have heard, our fathers have told us what you did in times past. Do today what you did then. This is not great faith, this is little faith in a great God. Remember Jesus saying, if your faith is as small as a mustard seed then nothing will be impossible for you. If your faith is small as a mustard seed, then in the midst of great darkness, you will be able to say, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Um, Derek Kidner um, wrote a great little com- or two-volume commentary on the book of Psalms. Um, they're, t- they're very brief and they're very good. He called this psalm from desolation to delight. That's the movement of the psalm. 
It's a great title for the psalm, providing you don't think, if I pray this for 30 seconds, I will move from desolation to delight. Um, my, my experience of the people of God praying uh, in the midst of desolation is that they have both desolation and delight um, at, at the same time. But desolation to delight is a is the way this psalm moves it moves from desolation to delight you could say as i said at the beginning the book of psalms moves from desolation to delight until you get to the alleluia choruses at the end you could say the whole bible is moving from desolation to delight from creation broken and ruined and spoiled to creation made new and restored and brought to its full glory it is, of course, the, 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 the way the central story goes. Jesus, um, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame from desolation to delight. And this will track our lives if we've been baptized into Jesus and therefore united in his death as we will be united in his resurrection. Psalm 13 helps us to pray on that journey from desolation to delight um, towards the dawning of the new day when the night is still very dark. It teaches us to sing and pray with Jesus and it teaches us we can be brutally honest with God we don't have to be polite we can cry out with loud cries and tears but that we can be utterly confident in his faithfulness and goodness to us may the Lord help us meditate on this psalm